Praise the Lord. You know, every soldier has battle gear, and they have at least one weapon. Most have more than one, but there's at least one. And the weapon is used for two purposes, defense and offense. Believers have and use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's written in Hebrews chapter 4. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and is able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. But the only thing that can be described to, the only way it can be described to us is that it is as a two-edged sword. It slices, it cuts, it divides. And it's written in John chapter 10 and verse 35 that our Lord said the Scripture cannot be broken. He was speaking about something different than this topic, but it applies because all Scripture is God-breathed. That's what His Word tells us. And all believers are engaged in battle. Whether we like it or not, we are. The moment that we come to Christ, we are enlisted in His army. You may not like that idea. Maybe nobody ever told you before, but that's the reality. It's written that we are, in fact, soldiers of the Lord. And we'll cover a Scripture that talks about that. The battle today continues, even though many have lost sight of it. And some have plunged right back into sin, which is the cause of that battle. Sad, because this exposes the one vulnerability in our armor, our back. There is no armor that covers the back. We are not to retreat. We are not to turn and run from the enemy. We're to stand. This is what the Scripture teaches us, to stand. The soldiers to be facing forward, not retreating to their former life. And this is where a lot of believers are not taught to stand, to face the enemy, to stand in Christ, to be strong in the power of His might. And many turn around and run back to that old life, and they're assaulted, injured, sometimes fatally. Christ's followers have been called from the beginning to declare our independence from everything contrary to God's Word. It's written in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16, Your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. This is Jeremiah speaking to God, and it applies to all of us. We are to consume the Word of God. We are to bring it into ourselves where it does its work upon us. It's written in Psalm 33 and verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. Think about, I'm speaking right now. What is required for me to, to, to do the think, the, the part that, that you're hearing? What is, what is required? My breath has got to come past my vocal cords. It has to come out of my lungs. It is the breath of God that has created everything that you all know. The breath of God is the Holy Spirit of God. And God gives us breath. 
He gives us life. He created man and woman, and He breathed in, and life began. Life comes from God. This is why it's important for us to support organizations such as Life Choices, so that they can do what it is that God has called for them to do, and that is to help women who are going to give birth, so they can be those creators as God has made them to be. They're not creators in the sense of God being a creator. God said, go forth and multiply. And this is what all of us are to do. Spiritually speaking, we multiply by sharing the Word of God. We're called, though, to to declare the truth and the truth alone, not falsehood, not false teaching, not deception, not doctrines of demons. And yet, much of the church now has embraced these very things that God's Word condemns. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it's written in verse 17, we are not as so many peddling the Word of God. Here, I I see some of these preachers, and I don't watch very many of them. I, I get so, I can't even watch. But I see them taking a passage of Scripture and turning it into something that it doesn't mean. And it's horrible. It is turning people away from Christ instead of bringing them into Christ. We're not peddling the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. We said we're standing before God speaking His words, and He's going to check us on what we say. This is why it takes me, at least in my estimation, so much time to put together a message, because I want to do it right because I know I'm going to stand before God. I know I'm going to have to answer to Him. I know that He's going to call me to account for what I have spoken. If it's His Word or if it's not, and if it's not, He's going to call me to account for that. Where'd you get that from? Was that joke found in my Word? You know, anytime I hear a pastor who starts a sermon with a joke, I I cringe. Where did that come from? That's not in the Word of God. In fact, God's Word speaks against jesting. His Word is serious. It's important that people understand His Word is truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, it's written, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You need the Word of God to guide your lives. I get about 25, 35, 45 minutes to share the Word of God with you. And each of you need to have your own Bible. You need to be opening that Bible and asking God to open His Word to you so that you can hear from Him because He'll guide your life. We're duty-bound to our Savior to use His spiritual sword to cut anything contrary to His Word to pieces. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's written in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
You know, in the 13th century, some men started what eventually became known as the Reformation towards the ends of the 13th century. And then in the 1500s, in the 1300s this was rolling along, the 1400s there was all this work that was going on to reform the, the, the dominant church at the time. And in the 1500s there were those who joined like Martin Luther and others and began a crack in the body of Christ. And that crack has led to more than 30,000 fractures. The body of Christ is to be one body, united, but we have been divided and weakened because of it. And that is a terrible, terrible thing. The later reformers refuted the idea of ultimate authority coming from the church and its tradition, its clergy, and its leadership. But the earlier reformers began declaring that the Word of God is inerrant in its original form, and refuted the church teaching that did not line up. And many of them, unfortunately, were killed for it. Those people affirmed God's Word stands with our Creator as the authority for true believers' lives. God's Word is the authority that guides our lives. If something somebody teaches is contrary to the Word of God, if it isn't found directly or logically within the Word of God, it is not true doctrine. And it's really sad that we have so much false doctrine in the body of Christ today. But the later Reformers, the early ones refuted church teaching that didn't line up, the later Reformers did not reject everything contradicting Scripture. In fact, we still see errors in the mainline Christian churches today. Using God's Word to examine Christian teachings and traditions developed into the doctrine of sola scriptura. It's a Latin phrase, and it means Scripture solely or Scripture alone. But unfortunate, it's really unfortunate that false shepherds crept into that movement, that Reformation movement. Reforming isn't necessarily a bad thing. If we get an old car, we reform it, we refashion it, we, we rehab it, we recreate it. Sometimes they're just not worth it. There's no value in the vehicle, so we have to let them go. The body of Christ has great value. It's built upon Christ using God's Word. And those false shepherds who crept into the movement brought new errors. They brought new false teachings, even pagan and heretical traditions that go against God's Word. This is part of the problem with the church today. We've got our focus on all these things other than the Word of Almighty God. Instead of going by what this says, what this teaches, what this guides us into living like, they're using what some man developed or some group of men developed, claiming that it comes from this. But when we take what they developed and what it has distilled into and we compare it to this, it's very obvious that much of what they're teaching of human traditions and human teachings are in error, at least. Sola Scriptura holds that the Word of God contains all knowledge necessary for salvation and holiness. 
without which the Word of God says no one will see God. Sola Scriptura stresses that no doctrine is to be declared or confessed that is not found directly or reasonably within Scripture. What happened to that? Think about the the teaching now. It's a false teaching that requires everyone to obey human leadership without question. There would have been no reformation of the church had they followed that doctrine. Wouldn't have happened. Oh, yes, we bow down to you because you are almighty. No. God is almighty. And only God is almighty. If believers had accepted that idea in the Middle Ages, they would not have challenged the errors of that time. We are to submit to God to breathe forth His Word into our beings. His Word is the authority for life and actions inside and outside of the church. Calling Scripture the inerrant authority for Christian faith is still a radical departure from the position of the church powers today, although they would deny that. Many demand and and teach unquestionable reliance upon their traditions and authority, but they don't call it that. They just do it. They say the things that God condemns are okay now in the church. They claim that it's all right to do things that God says is not all right to do. I'm not going to call out any particular things. Those who oppose the falsehoods today are labeled rebels or troublemakers, lawless, ungodly, disruptive, and other things. And I know because I've been called some of those things. Because I stand on the Word of God. I deliver the Word of God. I want you all to have the Word of God. I want you to be filled with the Word of God. I want you to walk in the Word of God. I want you to have the Word of God as your guide in your life. And if anything goes against the Word of God, then I say go against it. Historically, those who challenged the long entrenched church practices were in danger of being killed, and countless were. They wielded the sword of God's Word to cut away the bondage that men had built on non-scriptural things. The Scriptures warn about such a time of false doctrine. Today, I believe we face a greater challenge, as it's written in Amos chapter 8 and verse 11, and this is a very important point, folks. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God. Who said it? God said it. Okay. That I, who? God, will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. God says He's going to send a famine for His Word. And I believe we're in the midst of that. You hear somebody start a message or a teaching with a passage of Scripture, and they talk about the baseball game and the football game and the rain outside, and their dog and their children and their grandchildren and whatever else, but they're not preaching and teaching the Word of God. You know we're in a famine. People are not being fed the Word of God. His Word is falling on deaf ears when it is sometimes. 
It's a great challenge because Almighty God promised to withdraw His spiritual sword. Much or maybe most of the Christian church has fallen into one or more errors, but I believe this is probably the final fall. Listen to what's written in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. For the mystery of lawlessness, this is almost 2,000 years ago, is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume. See, that's the end of that lawless one. He will consume with the breath of his mouth. Remember the, the rhema of God, the spiritual breath, the life of God. He will destroy, he will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. And why do they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's why they perish. They don't love the truth. Where do we find the truth? God's Word is truth. They don't love the truth. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And that doesn't sound fair, does it? God's going to send delusion upon these people. He promised to withdraw the spiritual sword. How can anybody have a chance without His Word? He's going to send delusion. They're going to die in their sin because that's where they want to be. It goes back to what I said about the preacher who said, why are people going to take the mark of the beast? Because they want to. 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's written, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy. They will depart from the faith. In order to depart from something, I'm going to depart from the stage. I had to be on the stage to depart from it, true or false. They had to be in the faith to depart from the faith. So some will depart from the faith. Depart from the faith. Why would anybody want to depart from the faith? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Why would they do that? They've been deluded. Because they love unrighteousness. It's written in Hebrews 13 and verse 9, the very first part of that passage, do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines. Where do we find the true doctrine? The Word of Almighty God. You can find false doctrine anywhere you look in the world today. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's written, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, 
But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn away their ears. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Fables. They want the fables. Any time that I have stood and spoken with someone, and I do so in the utmost spirit of love, and I share the truth with them, and it's contrary to what they believe, very often they will give me the hand. Talk to the hand, because I'm not listening to you. We must avoid anything contrary to God's Word. We need to understand that the modern church has erred. Most definitely it has erred. It has to return to obedience to God and reliance upon God's Word. But I... I don't want to say fear, but I do. I fear that that's not even possible at this point. You know, Paul gives warnings in the second epistle that he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 11. And I believe we can apply this to the time that we're in. He was writing that he didn't want this to happen, but I think it has. As the serpent deceived Eve with his craftiness, many have been corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Countless others, I believe, have been deceived into following another Jesus. They willingly receive another spirit, a different spirit, and a different gospel. Willingly. They want it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 13 and 14, we learn that False apostles and deceitful workers transform themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And as we go on into verse 15 there, we read, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. In other words, what they do, they will be paid for. The wages of sin is death. Remember that the enemy of souls used Scripture to tempt Christ. And Christ rebutted him with three little words. It is written. Before he quoted Scripture. Now, I've shared a little life story, just a real brief story before, and I'll share it again. I used to volunteer time with an attorney. I had lots of reasons for doing that. I was his help. He called me a paralegal, but I didn't. And one day after doing whatever work we did, we're sitting in his Mercedes, and I said something. We were talking about something, and I said, thank God. It was about whatever the case was we were talking about. And he said, God, looked at me real sharply. He said, you're too smart to believe in God. And I said, you're too smart not to. He said, God, he said, prove it. There is no God. Prove it. And I said, you're the attorney here. You can't make a statement without having some substance to prove what you're stating. He said, there is no God, but he could give me nothing to prove that there was no God. And he said, well, you can't prove there is. I said, you can't prove there isn't. But I have my life that proves to me that God is real. And I have his word that is written and 
kept for thousands of years. And have people tried to destroy it? Absolutely. But Almighty God has not permitted that. God is real. His Word is real. And it's important that we critically study God's Word for ourselves, folks. The Word of God repeatedly warns about false teachers. It's written in Matthew 24 and verse 5 that Jesus warned that many would come in His name. He said, many will come in My name, and they'll be saying, I- I'm the Christ, and they're going to deceive many. He's talking about within the body. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13 that evil men and imposters wax worse and worse. They'll grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We're warned all through of God's Word. He says, beware, there are going to be false teachers. There are going to be false apostles. There are going to be false everything out there who are going to try to take you out of the truth of God's Word. Deceiving and being deceived. And it's written... 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Almighty God's working through His Word by His Holy Spirit today. He's preparing His bride for the return of Christ. Christ's true church is coming to a new declaration of independence. We're We're declaring our independence from falsehood. Doctrines of demons, declaring our independence from seducing spirits. In Christ, we acknowledge our dependence upon Almighty God. We depend upon Him. We depend upon His government, not world governments, not church governments. We accept His atoning sacrifice that frees us from sin's prison. The mistakes and the deceptions and the outright lies that have come into the body of Christ will not deceive us as long as we pay attention to His Word. These things have blossomed within the 500 years since the Reformation. And they're being revealed. They're like the spiritual yeast of the former Pharisees that Christ our Lord criticized. They've infected and sickened the body because we've gotten away from the medicine of the great physician. We're instructed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 to let no one deceive us. Christ will not return until after the great falling away takes place. We are going to watch people leave the faith. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is our defense against falling away just as it has been from the very beginning. This book contains the living, active Word of Almighty God. The problem is many people don't believe that anymore. They think it's a book of fairy tales, myths, fabrications. It's written in Psalm 119, 160. The entirety of God's Word is truth, and every one of His righteous judgments endures forever. Everything in here endures 
forever. This is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It endures forever. God says so. We need to take Him at His Word. It has the active, cutting Word of Almighty God within its pages. It's been preserved and handed down for thousands of years. All will answer to our Creator, even religious authorities. Our Lord said, not a tiny bit will pass away. We find that in in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18. Not one jot, not one tittle, and those are descriptions of parts of the language, the Hebrew language. True believers renounce the hidden things of shame. They don't walk in craftiness or handle the Word of God deceitfully. By demonstrating the truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Our lives reveal that we are God's servants. We breathe His Word energized by His Holy Spirit. People can see the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives by our sincere love and truthfulness. They can see the Holy Spirit in our lives by the righteousness of Christ that comes forth from us. The error in the body of Christ is being revealed, and God's truth will prevail, no matter what anybody thinks or believes or feels. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 3 and 4, it's written, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them. Now, wait a minute. We know Almighty God is going to send delusion. We know Almighty God is going to send a famine for His Word. But here we learn that not only is Almighty God doing that, but the enemy of souls is blinding the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the the image of God, should shine unto them. See, we've got this enemy that doesn't want us to come into Christ. The early reformation of Christ's church revived interest in God's Word as the basis for all teaching, for all doctrine. And I believe the current reformation is likely the final call to truth and righteousness. I think we don't get another chance. I think we are living in those days that are foretold. Those who have corrupted the simplicity that is in Christ must repent or suffer eternal consequences. Almighty God's using His Word and His Spirit to draw all into His presence. All into His presence. But to come into His presence, we have to come out of falsehood. We have to come out of error. We have to declare our independence from spiritual seduction into error, into false teaching. We have to declare our independence from demonic doctrines pagan teachings. One true defensive weapon in this battle is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And this is where we can learn what lines up with it, what doesn't. It also serves as our offensive weapon. It cuts apart the lies of the enemy and his minions. It's no mistake that those types of terminology are used, minions, you know, Make a cartoon for kids to think minions are good. Not going to go there, but 
I'll wrap it up, folks. I want to remind us all to stand on the truth of God's Word regardless of how others respond to our stand. In the years that God has had me in a pulpit, I have watched people come and I've watched people go. And there are people that will not stand on the Word of God because of that. I love everyone that God gives me to speak to and preach to. I don't try to offend anybody. That's not my goal. And I have met preachers that that's what they do. They want to offend people. I don't. But I must preach the truth of God's Word. Either we're going to line up with His Word, or we're not. There's not like this gray area where we can have one foot in the world and one foot in God's Word and say, I'm good. Because His Word says, no, that's not the way it is. We need to read and learn God's Word to be strengthened by it, and we need to use it daily, first for ourselves and then for others. And you'll be surprised that God will make these divine appointments where you'll actually have the words for somebody who needs them because you read it in His Word. Share His truth with anybody who errs also, regardless of how they respond. Their reactions aren't as important as the fact that you deliver the truth. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, we've read this many times. It is written, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Not your own, His might. Where do we get His strength? From His Word. And in verse 16, or excuse me, verse 13 there, Ephesians 6 and verse 13, it's written, therefore take up the whole armor of God. We've learned throughout this series of messages that the whole armor of God is Christ. It's a picture of Christ, His righteousness. His truth, His salvation. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. And it's written in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And we don't like to hear that because actually I've, Paul was speaking to Timothy. He's not talking to me. Right, he's talking to Timothy. That was a long time ago, Pastor. God's not saying we have to endure hardship, but let me tell you, folks, everything in here, because His Word says so, is for us. It's for doctrine. It's for reproof. It's for correction. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's written, but you, O man, and it applies to all the women too, you... O man and woman of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Then sometimes those things are difficult. It's difficult because we have people that are contrary to the Word of God who are verbally at least assaulting us. But we need to be people of faith. We need to be people of righteousness. We need to be people of godliness. We need to be people of patience and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And yes, he was writing to Timothy, but it applies to all of us. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on to eternal life. Stand upon the truth of God's Word so as not to fall for anything else. Amen.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I trust that Your Word has been proclaimed from this pulpit today. I trust, Lord, that I have done so in the manner in which You have given me unction to speak. I pray, Lord, that Your Word would not fall on deaf ears in this room or through either of the means that we're recording it, but that all who hear Your Word, Lord, would seek to line their lives up with it, that we would walk away from false teaching, that we would stand firm upon the truth of Your Word, that we would cut apart the lies of the enemy and his minions, that we would declare our independence from spiritual seduction into error, that we would declare our independence from false teaching, demonic doctrines. Father, let us be those who have not corrupted the simplicity that is in Christ. Let us, Lord, not be those who are unable to see Your Gospel, receive it. Let us, Lord, be those whom Your Word comes home to roost, that it is firmly planted in our hearts. We know that every word that comes out of Your mouth, and it is out of Your mouth, breathed from Your mouth, does not return to You void. So we ask, Lord God, that You would give us the strength to stand upon the truth of Your Word so as not to fall for anything else. And I pray this all in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. Now, um, if you all don't mind, we'll receive an offering. What did I forget? Oh, communion. We'll do that after the offering. How's that? No, you know what? Let's do it first. Thank you, Alberta. Let us pray. Father, we know that on the night when He was betrayed, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Yahashua, Messiah, as they celebrated the Passover meal and He prepared to go to His death, knowing that He would not stay in that grave, but He would be resurrected to new life, He instructed His followers to do likewise, to remember that He was, in fact, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And He took that bread on that night. And when He did, He showed it to His disciples. He raised it up. He gave it to His disciples after breaking that bread, and He said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is My body, which is broken for you and you and me. As we partake in this bread, I ask that each of you would hold the bread until all are served. And remember that this reminds us of His sacrifice. My wife made this this morning. It is unleavened bread. Father, we ask Your blessing on both the elements of this time of communion, that You would bless the bread and the cup, and that as we partake in them, Lord, we would remember the sacrifice that You made for the sins of the world. And we pray this in Christ's name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.